stuck in the middle with you, dude. Like, how how does anyone who hasn't seen like I mean, who's seen Reservoir Dogs at least like once, not know? I don't know the lyrics, lyrics by heart. Really? I don't know why I came here tonight. No, well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I've got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get downstairs. I'm really worried about letting you do this because I don't want us to get sued. <laughs> Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Boom, boom. <laughs> Uh, welcome to episode one. Oh um, my god, you recorded <laughs> Yes. Welcome to episode one of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at critically divisive films and see on what side of the consensus they fall on. My name is Derek Gade. My uh, partner in crime's name is Juan Barkeen. Say hi, Juan. Hi. That was, <laughs> that was the dude who was singing the theme song. I can't and, believe <laughs> you just actually let me do that, but um, we're going to go with it. So yeah, um, what Derek means by critically divisive is that they have a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is correct, which uh, contrary to popular belief does not mean that the film's critic score average is 50%, 5 out of 10, 2 stars out of 4, but that half of the critics that are polled here liked the film and the other half did not. And the interesting thing here is, you know, which side of the divide we fall on, debate the merits of the film. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting concept. And when Derek came to me with it, I thought it was a really cool idea. And I'm all here for doing this, especially considering our first film was by one of many directors who I very much like. Yes, uh, the film, to uh, the first film that we're going to do on this podcast, is Legend, directed by Ridley Scott, released in 1985. Starring Tom Cruise. Well, yeah, starring Tom Cruise, uh, Mia Sarah, and Tim Curry. Tim Curry as the devil. He's not called the devil, but it's pretty He's, clearly safe. Isn't he like the, um, the Lord of Darkness? Lord Darkness is his name yes. in the film. And if that sounds kind it. of corny, if that sounds like kind of like a like a weird sort of fairy tale name, that's because Legend is a full-on dorky fairy tale. It's a fucking D&D like plot just <laughs> not at all. Yeah, well ba- this is it's basically a story of good versus evil. It's you've got your Tom Cruise stars as a woodland elf who's in love with a human princess played by Mia Sara. Mia Sara touches a unicorn. Uh, <laughs> shit goes fucking crazy and shit goes fucking crazy because you can't touch unicorns that's the rules of the universe apparently i know like if you touch a unicorn everything like you just get visually assaulted by like cherry blossoms and winter and <laughs> if this doesn't make any sense it's because legend doesn't, doesn't put a whole lot of stuff sense. it's not that it doesn't make sense it makes sense like sort of kind of in an abstract way but it does it's just it, like one visually stunning scene followed by another visually stunning scene followed by another visually stunning scene with the occasional, very, very occasional reference to, like, an actual narrative. Yeah, it doesn't put as much stake in plot as most movies. What it does put its stake in is sumptuous photography by, in this case, I think his name is Alex Thompson. I think so. Amazing, amazing set design. Excellent practical effects. The film, for lack of a better term, is fucking gorgeous. It's pretty as hell. Like, the production design is genuine. Like, and the set design, too. It's just, it's so, 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 so pretty. Like, 
everything about it looks gorgeous. That one scene of Tom Cruise diving into the ocean was like, or not the ocean, the lake rather to like find the ring because you know, she, uh, the only way she would, she would get with him is if someone brought the ring back to her that she just tossed into the lake because I don't, I don't know. It's, it's fairy tale logic, fairy tale. basically. Yeah, it's fairy tale logic. I guess you could and, say that the film, like you know, kind of ignores regular narrative for fairy tale logic because nothing makes sense, but everything is kind of cogent if you don't think about it too hard. It's true. It's true. And I mean, it's like not that surprising to see why the film isn't as well received as it like arguably could be because I don't think it's a it's a fifty percent deserving well, film. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's. Is how is this movie polarizing? Uh, well, first of all, people it has no narrative. Well, people are generally wary of things that are kind of like loosely narrative, like have a loose narrative. Second yeah. of all, this film exists in two cuts. There's a theatrical cut that I watched, and there's the uh, Ridley Scott director's cut, which we both watched. Now, yes, the, I'm sorry, I'm a terrible <laughs> person who didn't want to watch the theatrical cut. It's, I watched, I watched the theatrical cut. It's if you if, like, we we're talking about the uh, the director's cut when you say it's kind of disjointed. The theatrical cut is even more disjointed. It opens God, with. I can't imagine that. Like, <laughs> see, let me tell you. Let me tell you this. It opens with like uh, it has an opening crawl. Oh the God. In, the, it, there is no introduction scene with Lord Darkness. Oh, that's kind of disappointing. There's a bunch of character interaction and fleshing out that's completely missing in the theatrical cut. So things that seem kind of illogical in the director's cut are even more illogical in the theatrical cut. It makes no sense. The editing is all weird. The score is Tangerine Dream. God. And the thing with Tangerine Dream is like I like their sort of analog synth assault. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that particular style, but it's so overbearing. It's mixed so high and so loud, and it permeates just, like, everything. Their style of music doesn't seem like it would mesh well with the kind of film that was made. At least that I saw. I don't know. Jerry Goldsmith's score for the director's cut was like it, it was just better. Felt right. It felt like fantastic. It felt fan- like it. It felt like a fantasy. Like that's it. It made sense. But Tangerine Dream, at least what I know of them and what I've heard it of It still theirs. feels kind of fantastical, but it's a lot it's a lot sort it's a kind of a dorky progressive rock kind of fantastical. Not like a cinematic kind of fantastical. Yeah. And you know the best thing, best slash worst thing about the US cut is that it ends with a Tangerine Dream song sung by Yes frontman John Anderson. It is the cheesiest, dorkiest most awesome thing in the world because yeah, I was John- about to say that's the worst part because that sounds like the best part out of because <laughs> I like yes I mean I'm a fan of of yes's music and more than once I have read John uh, like people describing John Anderson's voice as being kind of elfish so it's kind of appropriate when he's backed by yes like like when he has like swirling organs and like a massive rhythm section and kick-ass guitar it sounds awesome and he's harmonizing with two guys who sing lower than him when he's alone, just backed up by synths, it sounds really, really, really – it sounds gossamer. It sounds like it's about to come apart because it's so airy. Okay. It, but it's really I cheesy. Mean, now I'm just like tempted to like pause for a minute and hear <laughs> this and then be able to comment on it. Okay, let's take five seconds. It won't, it'll be seamless to you, but Juan is going to go listen to the Tangerine Dream Yes, uh, yes Anderson uh, – John Anderson song, and we'll be right back. <laughs> yes, Anderson. <laughs> 
So that was admittedly both like an intense trip, yet also incredibly fitting to the movie. <laughs> no, 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 it is totally fitting. It has. I haven't seen the movie Willow. Oh but my god! I, I feel like that's that song sounds like what Willow feels like. You know what? I'm completely on board with you, even though I actually also haven't seen Willow. <laughs> so basically, don't take our opinion on this. Like, you know, for anything. It's not worth a dime. Apparently, I know. We should watch Willow sometimes. I feel like we should have watched it as, like, a companion piece now. Yeah, well, this is not a companion piece podcast. This is a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes podcast. I know. And, oh, well, actually, Willow has 48%. Close enough. Like, here's the thing. Like, once we get through 50% and we watch all the movies we want to watch, then we can incrementally go 1% on either side. So it's still going to be a couple hundred movies before we even get the chance of going to Willow. It's true, sadly. So, yeah, so I like that. I like that song because it's really dorky and it's really fitting. And It's it pretty just, great, honestly. It, I'm it a has, little jealous I didn't watch the, the Tangerine Dream edition now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a half hour shorter. So Which would have helped. <laughs> I mean, I, I managed to watch both in a night because what the fuck else am I going to do? I know. I chose Love is Strange, which is fantastic, P.S., over that. Um, uh, let's talk about Tom Cruise. I love Tom Cruise. I know what you're about to say, and the world doesn't know yet, but they'll <laughs> realize how wrong you are in a few seconds. See, I don't dislike Tom Cruise. I think he's a very talented actor. I think he's one of the last great movie stars, and that's part of the reason why I can't believe him in any role like my ability to suspend disbelief is completely disappears when tom cruise is on screen because the metatextual popular conception like the idea of tom cruise is so powerful that i can't see anything else on the screen other than tom cruise i can't see a fighter pilot i can't see like uh, a nascar driver i can't see i can't even see a fucking bartender all i see is tom cruise and i see, admit father's it's more on, on. It's definitely more on me than it is on Tom Cruise, who has proven time and time again that he's a very skilled actor. But I can't shake like this meta idea of Tom Cruise when I'm seeing Tom Cruise perform. And the only exception to this rule that I have found is Eyes Wide, is Eyes Wide Shut. I could totally believe him, and probably that's because Nicole Kidman is also in that film. But I can totally I love be- that fucking movie. I can, I, I, I deserve that movie deserves to be reseen by me because I've seen it twice and it left me cold both times. And I'm sure if I've I watched seen it, it again, like no, I've seen it like five times. I love that movie. I like I still vague like very very well remember the first time I saw that movie, and it was the most uncomfortable moment of like my childhood. <laughs> like of your childhood. <laughs> Yeah, I like legitimately saw that movie when like when did Eyes Wide Shut come out? Like what, 99, 2000, 1999? Yeah. So I saw it like when it was on HBO. So let's say I was maybe like it came like 2000, 2000, let's say it would be on HBO. On cable, yeah. Yeah. So I was nine years old when I first saw Eyes Son Wide Shut. <laughs> I was in college. I was 17 years old or 18 years old when I saw that for the first time. I, I it still was... made me kind of uncomfortable because that's the movie, right? I know, but I was I was nine years old, maybe ten if like I saw it a little later in a hotel room alone in <laughs> Orlando, Florida. This is awesome. And, like I turned it on like just before the like giant orgy party. So it was it was certainly an experience. That's crazy. 
I know, I know. Welcome to my, <laughs> welcome to why I'm so fucked up. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I acknowledge that Tom Cruise is a very skilled actor. I mean, th- but here's the thing with this movie is that the role of Jack the Woodland Elf would have been thankless for anyone. And I, espe- and I especially can't because he's, because he's kind of a cipher. There's nothing much beyond him beyond, oh, I've got to save the girl that I love. But everyone in this movie is, is super one dimensional because, hey, it's a fairy tale. Exactly. Everyone's a blank fucking like her, especially like God, like all I could see is just like a white slate on a wall. Like that's all I could see. The best part of the movie that Mar- that Mia Sarah is involved in is the black dress waltz. Oh, my God, because it's gorgeous. It's like the best scene in the entire film. It's First gorgeous. All, it's-, it's sweeping. It's beautiful. And I like that they clearly put an actor in like in like a like a black suit or something. Yeah. In it's the dress. Like one of those. Um, what are those? They- those. Morph suits. Morph suits. And I like that they don't address the fact that there was clearly someone in there because that would ruin some of the magic. They don't need to. That's the thing. I mean, like, you can tell it's just... And that scene, I... (laughs) That scene is not as long or not as awesome in the U.S. version, by the way. Is it really not? Like, how would you cut that down is my question. She, She goes from seeing the figure in the dress to having the dress, basically. No, there's no there's there's no like sort of because the dance is representative of, of OK, there's something I've got to do, but I've got to sort of uh, sacrifice what I believe in kind of to get to it. I've got to succumb. I've got to succumb. It's, in order to, it's a it's the struggle. And it's, you know, rendered through dance. And yeah. And it's, it's a great scene. Done. And like, uh, honestly, that was like a my favorite scene in the movie. B like probably the best use of music in the movie as well, honestly. Yeah, because, I mean, that's when it becomes just music and physical performance. Exactly. Instead of just, like, music being sort of an accompaniment to, like, intense visuals. Then again, like, this is intense visuals, but it's not like... This is definitely a visual spectacle, but then again, that's par for the course for Ridley Scott. Yeah. Which is, like... Who directs the shit out of this movie. Let's put it that way. He really does. Like, as much as I think it's, like, the narrative and the production is, like, much more akin to what Jim Henson would potentially do. Although I'd say, like, a little bit more mature on occasion. Um, yeah, talk about the Jim Henson connection, because I haven't seen the Jim Henson movies, like the Jim Henson canon. Derek has never seen any single Jim Henson movie, including the Muppets movies, and he's offended movie. me. I haven't seen uh, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. You haven't, seen, haven't Dark seen Dark Crystal. Crystal. But oh, one God. has. But one has. And I want you to uh, talk about the sort of the similar vibes that those three movies or specifically those two movies uh, in reference to the dark crystal and labyrinth have with legend. Have you like at the very least seen like one of Frank Oz's movies? I may have seen like Muppets from space or something. Muppets from space wasn't Frank. Oh God, I hate you so much. right now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> have I seen, have I seen any Frank Oz movies? He did the uh, little shop. Have you seen little shop? I haven't seen the remake of little shop. I haven't Fuck. seen, Dirty Run Scoundrels? Nope. What about Bob? I think I've seen What About Bob. I remember liking that. Um, what else has he done? Uh, Indian in the Cupboard? Yes, that movie kind of sucked. Yeah, it did. Uh, what about Stepford Wives? No, no, I haven't seen Stepford Wives. Oh, see, everyone fucking hates Stepford Wives, and I adore, I adore the 2004 edition of that movie. It's not, like, I don't adore it. That's a lie. I'd like, it's a very fun thought it was okay completely different adaptation from like ira levin's novel so yeah anyway. I'm, 
I'm not a big I'm not a big uh, Jim Henson slash Frank Oz expert. Okay, I haven't seen The Dark Crystal. I haven't seen Muppets Take Manhattan. I haven't seen Little Shop of Horrors. I haven't seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I have seen What About Bob. I remember liking it. I haven't seen House Sitter. I have seen Indian in the Cupboard. Kind of a shitty movie. Kind of racist. I know. I have not seen In and Out with Rob Lowe. I have I have seen Bowfinger, which I thought was okay, but I saw that movie when I was like ten. So uh, I have not like <laughs> I have not seen the score. I have not seen the Stepford Wives, and I have not seen Death at a Funeral. So I'm not exactly what you would call a Frank Oz connoisseur. And you aren't a Jim Henson. Like you just like you've just never seen anything like vaguely I mean, related to Jim I mean, Henson. Like I've You're seen a I've seen a shit ton of Sesame Street. Well, that at least there's that. <laughs> but I'm not like like. I'm a fan of Jim Henson conceptually, mm-hmm. like the idea and concept and philosophy of Jim Henson. I'm a big fan of, but I haven't seen a lot of the work. Yeah. That being not. that being said, aesthetically speaking, um, what's this movie's name? Wow, Legend shares a lot of shares a lot of 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 similarities with with Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal and a lot of Jim Henson's work in general with like. All sorts of puppetry and like really nice makeup and just makeup the really sheer, movie. yeah, the sheer fantasy over the top quality. Which like I'm very shocked that this movie did not get a nomination for for like production design at all. The only thing it got was I believe score. Uh, are we talking the Academy Awards here? Yeah, oh. which makes little to no sense to me. It got no. It got best makeup. I lied. I lied. I lied. Yeah, but it was only nominated for best makeup. Now the production design is really sumptuous in this movie, and it's clearly all sets. Like it's kind of a stagey film, but it's amazing to look at. It's true. It really is. It's beautiful. I'd like. I could watch certain scenes happening over and over again. I just don't want to watch the movie as a whole again. To be honest, can, can I point out one scene that I really liked, and this kind of ties back into? what we were talking about performances earlier absolutely there's a scene uh this is this that sets off the third act of the film where mia sarah uh is she's in hell she's in the clutches of lord darkness and she's like oh shit i need to i need a plan i need a plan and the plan is super transparent i mean you can see the plan from a mile away uh tim curry doesn't though uh why would he (laughs) Mia Sarah says, I will stay with you in hell forever on the, on the one condition. And he goes, what? And she says, I want to kill the unicorn. Because the whole impetus here is that they've captured a unicorn. And if the unicorns die, darkness takes over the world. Yeah, they're basically trying to block out, like, just, like, destroy the entirety of light in general. And the unicorn is the like, embodiment of that. Yeah, and that's why when everything, like, goes to shit, basically you sort of see everything go from, like, beautiful springtime to, to complete icy hell. cold winter, yeah. yeah. And so Mia Sarah says, "I will stay with you on the condition that I kill the unicorn." And Tim Curry's reaction is the best piece of acting in the film. He closes his eyes as if he were like mid orgasm, turns his head and goes, "Ah!" <laughs> and it's awesome. It's, a, it's great. I mean, I really like Tim Curry as an actor. I think he has sort of like this. He's very he's very uh, capable at playing sort of slimy, smarmy characters. Absolutely. And this is him being just evil, and it's great. And it, there's like a certain camp factor to it as well, although it's oh, not definitely. as like over the top as you would potentially expect from him. 
Well, because, you know, I mean, the guy has, like, the specter of the Rocky Horror Picture Show looking over his shoulder. It's which true. At, which, at this point, was just 10 years removed. I know. But, uh, but no, he definitely, like, he's definitely, like, top 10 Satans that I've seen in, in the film. Top 10 Satans. Yeah, I'm, 10, actually, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of curious. Like, who else would be on this top ten Satan's top, list? Top, top ten Lords of Darkness. Yes, I'm curious. Tim, like Tim Curry. <laughs> um, shit, and <laughs> I didn't think I was gonna get put on the spot like that. Oh no, you were absolutely gonna get put on I, the spot. I should have thought this out. Uh, I should have thought this out better. Um, <laughs> ah, fuck. <laughs> what about like um, what's his name? Uh, fuck, Al Pacino. Oh, and the, and the Devil's Advocate. Yeah, I haven't seen the Devil's Advocate. Oh my god! I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Tim Curry in Legend. I'm gonna go. James Woods in the animated version of Hercules. Uh huh. Um, God, this is tougher than I thought it was gonna be. What about Liz Hurley in Bedazzled? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you! Did, did that, see, because that movie, because that movie kind of sucked. Fuck you! I know Fuck it you. did. You're right, but... but you know what? I haven't seen the original Bedazzled, but I'm who played the devil in the original Bedazzled? Was it Dudley Moore? I have no idea who played the. Original or was the other guy? It was the other guy. <laughs> it was Peter Cook in the original Bedazzled. So let's go with that. Okay, let's go with that. So yeah, Peter. Let's so let's say top three is James Woods, Tim Curry, and Peter Cook. Mm-hmm. Until I like think about it, and you know whatever. I'm so offended right now. All that to say, though, that I really liked Tim Curry as as Lord Darkness. I'd also like to point out that Mia Sarah, the mm-hmm. main actress in this film, is currently married to Brian Henson, Jim's son. Yes, she is. Which is like a totally cool and also slightly weird connection. Yeah, it's just it's just kind of a, one of those happy coincidences. It is. Also, what about what about Dave Grohl as in in, in Tenacious oh, in D? Oh, in the Tenacious D movie, yeah, I really like Dave Grohl as Satan. That movie was like that movie is a dumb comedy, but it's a dumb comedy that knows it's a dumb comedy. Yeah, like it's not as good as like the TV show, but I re- I kind of like the Pick of Destiny because it's so it's so dedicated to its goofy premise. Which is good. I like Jack Black more than most people seem to. No, I'm Frank. definitely a, a Jack Black fan. But yeah, yeah Dave, Dave Grohl as as the devil in that too. I mean, if I could, I'm sure if I think about it, I'd have a better list. But right now, let's leave it at James Woods, Peter Cook, and uh, Tim Curry. So, what side of the fence do we fall on with Legend? So yeah, do we do we think that it's a good movie, or do we think that it's a bad movie? It's there's no room for nuance because the RT system doesn't really give room for nuance are we on the pro side or are we on the con side one i'll leave it to you wait like pro pro 50 or con 50 or like no, 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 pro, pro i like, like this movie yeah. no pro is i like this movie like you would be okay one of, the, one of the fresh ones and con yeah. would be one of the rotten ones okay well personally i would i would definitely give it a give it a fresh i i think it's 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 a very flawed movie but i think it's good yeah, I mean, it's definitely a flawed film, but it has sort of a like a grand dorky charm to it. I can easily see why it's become kind of a cult film, like in the yeah, same absolutely. way. Absolutely, in makes, the same way that the last perfect. unicorn is, or Willow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the last but unicorn. The last unicorn is really messed up because it has a scene where a tree comes to life, grows giant breasts, and smothers a wizard. 
That description is literally how Derek just convinced me to watch. Don't. It's not that good. It's not that. <laughs> I great. don't care. Like I'm not. I'm not a fan of like Rankin Bass animation because it's kind of weird looking, but it's not cool weird looking in like the Ralph Bakshi way. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's just kind of kind of weird looking. It's like weird, like sub Disney, sub anime, sub. It's they were working on a budget at shows, and I admire them for doing what they did with the money they had. But ugh. <laughs> so Derek would not recommend other fantasy eighties. I would not recommend the, last, uh, the last unicorn. Unfortunately, sorry, uh, legions of fans that this movie clearly has. But <laughs> I would recommend Legend because that is the uh, the dorky, uh, like sort of heartfelt fairy tale for all that I would recommend. Because it was directed and has the eye of a master. Yeah, it really does. I mean, Ridley Scott's been good since day one, let's be real. Even though he does have, like, the occasional misstep. Yeah, I mean, and also, well, you know, the, the whole brouhaha surrounding his last one, Exodus. His last, oh, oh. That, I, I, I completely forgot he did <laughs> Exodus. I literally, like, I was like, the, but the counselor's so good. And then, I like, it hit me. I'm like, oh, no, wait. The Exodus exists. That's and ne- right. Here's the thing with Ridley Scott is that his good movies are amazing, but his bad movies are atrocious. They really are. It's true. That's but that's like completely I'm really crazy. looking forward to The Astronaut though. Or not The Astronaut, The Martian. The Martian. I'm so excited. I think Drew Goddard's a good writer and I cannot wait to see what Ridley Scott does with that, especially because Ridley Scott in space is like my favorite fucking thing in the world. I'm is not going to lie. Your favorite subgenre of film? Yes, absolutely. It's it's just so satisfying. Like everyone shits on Prometheus a lot, and I'm like, no, fuck everyone. It's so good. I love. I thought it was it so okay. Much. Like I think the worst thing about it was the fact that it sort of clung on to the alien myth. I don't like, think it did cling on to it that much, though. I like it barely cares about it. Like it, it like it, it calls enough attention to itself as like sort of a spiritual companion piece to Alien that it kind of takes some of it, some of the enjoyment away from me. That's fair. It's a decent movie. I mean, I liked the movie when I saw it. It's breathtaking. But, like, up until maybe the last half hour. Mm-hmm. I think I love the last half hour. So it turns into, like, a slasher flick. It's, like the, it's so... It suffers It suffers kind of from the same thing as Danny Boyle's Sunshine did. But no, or, fuck you. It does whoa, not whoa, suffer. Hold no. Hold on, hold on. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No. Hold on. I like Sunshine. Because I know what you're about to say. I like Sunshine. And I like... I like sunshine. Oh. It's two-thirds of kind of an abstract, character-driven science fiction film that, that turns into a slasher. slasher film but it's great it's so entertaining it's riveting it's i love it that it's riveting it's okay it's i fine. think it is no i think they're both like they're I, both I feel, of their last acts are visually stunning slashers i love it i feel it. like they were just like they kind of hedged their bets Ugh. i don't know they were building something for two acts and kind of hedged their bets at the end we got we got to end strong and it just, I don't know, it felt kind of out of step for both movies. I mean, I like both those movies. I can understand why people don't like it, but it's something I personally really, really dig about both of them. Now, we've talked about Legend. We've assessed that we would be on the pro side, which would maybe bump the Rotten Tomato score up to maybe 51 if we were like, if we were certified if critics. It mattered. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So now we're going to uh, give you each a recommendation for movies that we do like that are somewhat related to the movie that we've discussed, in this case, Legend. Yes. So um, okay, so I'll, I'll go first. My, my, my choice of film, both 
was released the same year as Legend and also stars one of its wonderful, wonderful actors, Tim Curry. And that movie is Clue because I adore Clue. I think Clue is like, Clue is like one of the funniest comedies of the eighties. And I stand by that. that, It's not just Tim Curry in that movie. That entire cast is super stacked because exactly. It's a perfect ensemble. You got Michael McKean. You've got, um, Madeline Consonant. You've got, um, Come on, David. You can do this. I believe in you. It's your recommendation, dude. Come on. I know it's my recommendation, but you started listing stuff. Christopher Lloyd. That's Martin right, Christopher Mull, Lloyd. Oh, that's right. Um, fuck. I know there's more people. Eileen Brennan? Yep. Leslie Ann Warren. That's right. Yes. And, and a fun fact about that movie, the guy who plays the dead body is the lead singer of the punk band Fear. See, I didn't know that. This is why Derek exists to come <laughs> up with fucking weird ass shit linked to Dad Rock. It's not Dad Rock, dude. I don't know what that is. Okay, listen. Let me pull up the Wikipedia page and tell you how wrong you are. Okay, I'm sorry okay. that like I Hold literally up. only listen to like disco and movie scores. I'm like, <laughs> see, that's on you. That's not on me. Fear is a okay. punk rock band from Los Angeles, California, formed in 1977. The band is credited for helping to shape the sound and style of Californian hardcore punk. Now, the group started out as part of the early Californian punk rock scene and gained national prominence after an infamous 1981 performance on Saturday Night Live. So, uh, Dad Rock, my ass. Okay, it's not Dad Rock, whatever, Derek. There you not go. everything I listen to is Dad Rock. But I will say, Run the um, Jewels is not Dad Rock. It's true, but I think I think it's really interesting to see Jonathan Lynn's career post Clue because that was his debut movie, and that's like. That's a really fucking good debut. Like, I'm I'm genuinely impressed. I didn't know that was his first film until now. Uh, by the way, the dude's name was Lee Vang. I, I knew it was Lee something, but I forgot what it was. It's Lee Vang. There you go. I'm proud of you. You figured it out. <laughs> so what did, anyway, jo- what did Jonathan Lynn do as well? Uh, the whole nine yards. Uh, oh, shit. Okay. Temptations, so not as uh, which good, I actually kind of like Fighting Temptations. I'm not gonna lie, uh, but that's because I love Beyonce and I like Cuba Gooding Jr. and it's like gospely R&B. Um, but, he did he did Nuns on the Run with Eric Idle. That was his follow up. Yes, he did. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, I know. And my cousin <laughs> Vinny, which I very much like. My cousin Vinny, I will say that much. And Marissa Tomei won Best Supporting Actress for that, or was it Best Actress? Wasn't it Best Actress? Could be. Or was it supporting actress? I don't remember anymore. Hold on. No, you're right. Best supporting actress. Yeah! Trivia! My recommendation... Oh. <laughs> my recommendation... Seamless. Seamless transition. Uh, my recommendation uh, is a movie that also stars Tom Cruise. And it's actually one of the roles uh, where... One of his performances where I'm not taken out of it. Because... It's kind of like this weird alternate universe version of Tom Cruise. It's Michael Mann's Collateral from 2004. Uh, Which Michael I Mann, love as well. Michael Mann shoots a city at night like no other. Shoots in digital like no other. Tom Cruise gives a great performance. Jamie Foxx is really good in it too. And I, for one, am a big fan of Mark Ruffalo playing slimy cops. So am I actually, including like an in the cut where I didn't like. I don't think it's a particularly good movie. But he's really good in it. The club sequence, the club shootout in Collateral is amazing. Oh, yes. It is so beautiful. I wish I could make, like, Tim Curry's orgasmic face, but I can't. That's that's Ah. what... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I feel like we should end on that. Oh, wait. We have to announce what 
what our next film is going to be. See, here's the thing. The way we worked this out is for the we were, when we were first planning out the podcast, we were like, okay, we should trade we should trade off who gets to pick which movie. And Legend we picked together because that's the one of them that we agree on. And one won like a coin toss. Let's say it was a coin toss. Let's say and, it was a coin toss. And gets to pick the next movie. So Juan, what movie have you picked for next episode, which should be in two weeks? Well, because of the fact that a certain film came out just recently, which was an update of a long, long-running musical called Annie, I decided that we should do John Huston's 1982 edition of Annie because it, <laughs> interestingly enough, has a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is much better than what uh, our current Annie has, which is a shame because I actually enjoyed it. But one, lots doesn't of issues. This but one, doesn't this 1982 edition of Annie also star Tim Curry? Does it? Who knows? I, I Find out next week. <laughs> Just look it up on Wikipedia like I'm doing. It does. It does star Tim Curry. That well, is, not star. He's in he's it. He's in it. But that is awesome. Uh, so two weeks from now, we're going to be having the same kind of goofy-ass discussion about John Hughes' 1982 version of Annie. But until then... Which I'm admittedly going to love and Derek's probably going to hate. See, but I love because, like, Bernadette Peters and Carol Burnett, like, come on. See, see I, I like Bernadette see. Peters and Carol Burnett, too, you know? No, but you're not gay. <laughs> <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? I don't know. That being said, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. See you in two weeks.